0: Well, as we have had the urge this morning, we have been reminded that we are to act like men. And also, we have been reminded of the dangers of that. Sin within the world, sin within ourselves. It is always looking to destroy masculinity. In fact, in many ways, there's a crisis in masculinity right now. Within our culture, in many ways, there is a crisis in which masculinity is seen as the problem is men are actually the thing that is destroying society. Men acting like men is becoming a problem, and the solution is to actually act like boys, to act, and the culture sees that is actually good. And that is, that is beginning this crisis within our culture of sometimes it's even hard to see what does masculinity look like? In her PragerU video, "Make Masculinity Great Again," Ali Stuckey addresses this problem with the feminization of culture, and she gives her solution. So listen closely and see if you agree with this. Bad men do not become good when they stop being men. They became good when they stopped being bad. Aggression, violence, and unbridled ambition cannot be eliminated from the male psyche, they can only be harnessed. And when they're harnessed, they are tools for good, not harm. The same masculine traits that bring destruction also defeat tyranny. The traits that foster greed, economics. The traits that drive men to take foolish risk also drive men to take risk. And she goes on to explain what masculinity looks like. It's a young man opening up the door for a girl on their first date. It is a father working long hours to provide for his family. It's a soldier taking his, taking his life to defend his country. The growing problem in today's society isn't that men are too masculine. It is that they are not masculine. And now when I listened to this PragerU video, I was nodding in agreement. Yes, this this is what I want. I want more hardworking fathers. I want ambitious young men opening up doors for ladies. I want more war heroes. This is something that we want. We want men to harness their aggression, violence, ambition for the betterment of society. I want a better. If that's what we can have to have a better culture, bring it on. That's what I want. Yet, I have to confess something, out of my desire for a better culture, there is always a temptation in my heart of wanting to fight culture with culture, and with my background and who I am, many times my viewpoint of masculinity can become the Marlboro Man without the cigarette. (laughs) And not men in Speedos like Adam said. But that's, that becomes my view of masculinity, just this ruggedness, this independence, just you got the cowboy hat, the boots, and all of that. And I grew up in a rural community where I was around men like that, and it was great. I mean, I was around hard-working, red-blooded Americans, cowboys, farmers, construction workers, and it was a great way to grow up. I was blessed in many ways to have that background, and for... Me, growing up, masculinity was measured by driving a truck, by wearing stuffed up boots, and being a hard worker. Those are good things. I like those things. And yet, just like many other cultures, men were driven by pride, selfishness, and insecurity. And the worst part is, many times these flaws were overlooked because men would measure their masculinity by self-righteousness simply being better than someone else. And I fear that the temptation for us adopting the world standard of masculinity will lead to that viewpoint of masculinity and I have even a greater fear that we would look at the world and then we would look at back at ourselves and we would simply think, well, I'm not the problem. In fact, I And I display masculinity, I'm better than what the world is. And we would define our masculinity simply not being as crazy as the world around us. That is a temptation that we have. And we cannot trust ourselves to come up with our own definition of masculinity by our own intuition. Our view of masculinity must be shaped and defined by God's word. Masculinity is not harnessing aggression and violence and ambition, but it is pursuing God, pursuing godliness that we see in God's revelation of how he wants us to live. So for this second session, please turn to Titus chapter two. In Titus chapter two, Paul gives a list of godly attributes that have been in the church are to pursue. And as we learned this morning, definition of masculinity is is provision, it's protection. And so we need to have godly attributes that we live out to help us, assist us, pursue what it looks like to actually give provision and protection. So this morning in verses. Number two, and then also verses six through eight, we are going to uncover nine standards that define biblical manhood. Nine standards that define biblical manhood. And now we're going to move very fast through this list. And yet, this is not something that you are done with in the next 15 minutes. This is something we need to constantly hold in front of us as a mirror, as a standard, as an example of how we measure ourselves and what it looks like for us to be men, these are standards in which you measure and define what a godly man looks like. And so in verse two, Paul starts out, he writes to Titus, and he starts off with giving instruction to him that he's actually supposed to give to older men, which is Bill. So, and he starts (laughs) off with this, he says, older men, (laughs) older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. So the first standard that Paul gives that defines biblical manhood is that older men are to be temperate. This means that you're to have a self-control about you. Temperance is an adjective that basically means to be clear-headed, to manifest self-control in all circumstances of your life. And a good way to just kind of test yourself, do I have self-control, is to ask yourself, are you able to say no to your flesh? It's as simple as that. It's sometimes many times can be boiled down to just a simple saying yes or saying no to different passions and lust within our life. As we've been learning through Ephesians, the Christian life is putting off the old man. It's putting on the new, which is in the likeness of Christ. And that means rejecting our flesh. It means crucifying our flesh. It means saying no to unprofitable things and saying yes to godly attributes that actually glorify God by the way that we live. We are to be men of self-control. And our self-control is something that should be clearly seen, which actually leads to our second standard. And Paul writes that, Older men are also to be dignified. Dignity means that you're to live in a way that earns honor and respect. You are to live in a way that other people can see your godliness and it actually is something that they see is worth, it brings respect. You are to display a certain seriousness, sober mindedness, and integrity that others can see, it is a constant part of your life that other people are witnessing of how you live. And this is very important because the world's watching us. The world's watching us. Our families are watching us. Our brothers and sisters in Christ within our church, they are watching and examining the way we live, and we need to live in a dignified way that not only brings respect for the way we live, but the way we live brings respect to God. That's the point, is the way we live in a dignified way glorifies God, for the work that he has had within our lives. And so we need to take ourselves very serious and be sober-minded. And with that in mind, that also leads to the third standard. Once again, we're going to be moving through these pretty quick. But that is, he says, older men are to be sensible. In other words, they are to have good judgment. Now, having good judgment, a lot of times when it comes to us being men, we tend to talk a lot about common sense, and it's something that we see value in, which is true. And yet, when you think of being sensible, when you think of having good judgment, it's that, but more than that. Having good judgment is not just this having this common sense, but it is having wisdom and living out of wisdom that comes from God. It's not based on your own intuition, and you have to make some good decisions. Our good judgment has to be based on who we are in God and that we are living based on his wisdom that flows out of our lives of what we know about him. Have good judgment. We are to be men of the word that shapes us in every aspect of our life that flows out in every area of life. And so this leads to the next, to the end of verse two, and in the end of verse two, Paul ends by saying older men are to be sound in faith, in love, and in perseverance. Sound meaning solid, firm, strong. Men are to be strong in these attributes. And the first one he says, strong in faith. And this one is so simple. It's so simple, but it is the umbrella that overshadows everything in the Christian life. And faith simply is our belief, As Christians, as men of God, we are defined by being believers. And I don't want us to take that for granted. That's something that we're about. It's something that becomes familiar to us that, yeah, I, I believe in Christ. I have faith. But it's good for us to actually stop and examine ourselves. Do you actually believe in God's revelation of himself through the person and works of Jesus Christ? Do you actually believe gospel and it actually defines who you are and a question that goes along that do you actually believe and a good test of that is that if you say you believe does your life match your belief that is something we need to constantly be examining ourselves because why because everything flows out of our faith as believers in christ everything flows out of that Next, he says, we're to be strong in love. And as men, the word love can become, become very weird just due to the way that society has twisted. Um, something very vain, something very shallow. And yet, the biblical view of love is something that is very rich. It is deep in for men. It's something that is, actually, there's grit to it. It is a gritty attribute. And um, pastors that many of you have read many, many times, but it's worth the time to read this again. But 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, Paul gives a definition of biblical love. And he says, love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness but rejoices in truth. It bears all things, believes all things, and hopes in all things, endures all things. With definitely what love is, that is a masculine attribute. That is a sacrificial love that as men we must demonstrate. That is a love with grit. Christians, we are commanded that we are to love our neighbors as ourselves, and of course love God with that kind of love. And that is quite the calling for, uh, for men, for us to actually be defined love. And as he says in the end, love endures all things. And it's very fitting that next he would say we need to be strong in endurance, have sound endurance. Endurance simply means that you make it to the end. Make it to the end Why? of God need to be strong in endurance not just in individual situations but you're talking the span of our lifetime our faith and it's because that we are promised that we're going to experience and we're going to experience trials within this life and as men we are called to handle that in a godly, godly way and persevere through those trials and have endurance we're to make it to the end And there's such a danger for all of us that when we're underneath these trials, all of a sudden, selfishness just comes in. Self-pity comes in. Self-pity is a soul killer. It is something that steals our joy, and not just that, but actually steals the joy of other people around us. It wounds other people. So many times, we want other people to feel our pain, and you come home after a rough day of work, and you lash out at your wife. You complain to your coworkers and friends about what's going on just in your life and these problems that we have. And as men, we need to be stronger than that. We need to be those who endure through trials that glorifies God. And of course, having strong endurance does not mean that we're just cold stoics. I mean, affliction doesn't hurt, but it does mean that we are quick to turn to the Lord for his provision, and the joy that we have in him should carry us through any circumstance that we have. That what we know about God actually helps us to endure through trials. And so that's the list that Paul gives to older men in the church. And then through verses 3 through 5, he addresses women, but then he picks back up with men in verses 6 through 8, and he turns his attention to young men and then also who's the leader of this church. So verse six, he says, likewise, urge young men to be sensible. Now, this is something he actually repeats from the list that he just gave to older men, This likewise looking back to what he's already said and saying, young men are to do these things. And then after that, he turns to Titus urges him to give these standards a young man. but then he turns to him and he says this in verse seven. He says, in all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds. So the seventh standard of godliness is that we are to have, to have exemplary character. As Adam pointed out, we are to be leaders as men. And as leaders, we are not to be men that say, do what I say, but not what I do are to lead as an example for other people to follow. A pattern for people to be able to act, "That's what I need to do." Of course, we become that pattern, we become that example, not from ourselves and our own own intuition, but what we know about God. Our fruit of salvation should be unfolded in a way that others around us can see and also. Leaders, we have to actually live out others and follow our leadership. And once again, we can't do that with our own intuition. We need instruction. We need biblical guidance in order to help us in this pursuit. So that's why afterwards he says, do this, be an example of good, work, be good works with what? Purity in doctrine. So a standard that we have as men is we need to be precise in our, have precision in our theology in what we believe about God. Doctrine is just simply biblical teaching and we need precision in how the Bible tells us to live. And I've noticed over the years, including myself at times in my life, the many times men take their own intuition, what, they, what they, they think, their self-governance. But if we do that, we're gonna fail. We need divine to guide us because there's too much competition in other doctrines that will pull us away from God. Scripture warns of the dangers of precepts of men, which flows from the desires of men, which in 1 Timothy 4.1, Paul says is demonic. If you think that you're safe from those kind of doctrines, then that itself says you are in great danger. We need to be aware of those dangers and be constantly, constantly filling ourselves with the word, learning good biblical doctrine that will guide you through our life. I've heard Rick say many times that he fears that some in our church will have an appreciation of doctrine without application. And as men, we need to be those who apply God's word to ourselves. Your doctrine and life must be in harmony. Appreciation of doctrine is not enough if we do not apply that divine truth to our lives. We are those who live out our doctrine for others to see. Next, he tells Timothy that you are to be dignified. Once again, that is something he actually repeats from verse two, being dignified, worthy of respect. And then at the end of verse eight, he says this he gives this standard, to be in sound speech, which is beyond approach. And as men, our speech need to be above reproach, beyond reproach, which means it cannot be condemned, which means we need to be intentional with our words. As we recently learned in Ephesians 4.29 from from Rick, preaching Ephesians at the pul- from our pulpit, he sa- um, Paul writes this to the, the church of Ephesus. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word that is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. So our speech needs to be something that is edifying, built, instead of tearing down. We need to be intentional, related in the way that we talk. And there's a great reason for this. He goes on, so that the opponent will be put to shame having nothing bad to say about us. So the way we speak, along with every other standard of being a man, there's a lot on the line is because there's an enemy, enemy to the gospel, and we need to live in a way that puts them to shame. And notice that Paul says will have nothing bad to say about us, plural, not just, well, so nobody will say anything bad about you, Timothy, it's no, us. The way that we live as Christians, we represent the church as a whole, and which means we represent Christ, everything that we do. And if you're a Christian, you're an ambassador of Jesus Christ, and you must speak and conduct yourself as his representative. That in itself is what points to masculinity that we live in a way that glorifies Christ instead of actually bringing him shame. That is who we are as men. we are ambassadors, we are leaders, we lead others to do the same, to represent Jesus Christ and glorify him. So with these lists, how do you match up? How do you match up with these lists? I'll have to say, studying this, this is, this is convicting. It's a very convicting list, we all fall short probably in every category in some way. And this is something that we need to constantly examine ourselves. And just as a reminder, you cannot accomplish any of this without help from God. We are not rugged individualists, but we are those who are dependent on the Lord and live through his dependence, through his of his word, through prayer, discipleship in the body of Christ. We rely on him for provision and pursuit of godliness. And as men of God, we are not defined by those who harness violence and selfish ambition for the sake of a betterment society, the betterment of society. We are those that through the power of God crucify the flesh. We live by faith for the sake of his kingdom and his glory, and we need to be those men. Let me pray. Father, I want to thank you so much that we are not left alone in the dark of knowing how we are to be men. Father, you have given us everything we need to teach us and assist us in that pursuit. We have your word. We have your Holy Spirit. Father, we have divine assistance to be able to pray for you. We are in the church. We we have discipleship in the body of Christ. And I just pray that we would see value in these things as something that actually makes us a man that represents you. And I pray that you would continue to convict us, shape, and mold us in all of these. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.